0: Hello, and welcome back to the Quadcast. I'm Dana Humphrey. Today, I am joined again by Carson Domi, who is guest co-hosting a special series on student-led advocacy and young adult mental health policy. Welcome back, Carson.
1: Hi, Dana. It's great to be with you again.
0: So we have a great guest with us today, and I will just turn it over to you to introduce him.
1: Thank you so much. So today's guest, Mr. Alex Zakara, currently serves as the 18th headmaster of St. John's High School in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, where I'm currently a senior. Throughout his career in secondary education, Mr. Zakara has served in almost every role possible from teaching to working in admissions to serving as the founding principal of the Nativity School in Worcester, Massachusetts, and coaching six different sports. It's a pleasure for me to welcome to the quadcast, Mr. Alex Aqueira.
2: That's a very kind introduction, Carson. Thank you. I'm not sure I've done everything, but I, I appreciate you talking me up like
1: that. I never knew that you actually did coach six sports. I was doing some research and man, that's crazy
2: you know i started my career in sort of traditional independent schools and what they expect from all teachers is that this idea of being a triple threat right so you wanted to, you're a teacher coach and advisor i felt very comfortable coaching three sports but over time i expanded into other sports some i was more successful in than others and some i served as kind of an assistant coach with somebody who was much more knowledgeable but i did pretty well with soccer basketball and baseball that was uh, those were my three that i felt very comfortable with
1: I think it's safe to say that you've mastered the triple threat strategy. <laughs> to begin, could you talk to the audience a little bit about your family story and why you decided to work in education?
2: Sure. Education has been always an important part of my life. Now. I come from a family of educators as far back as my grandmother, who actually founded her own school in Cuba. My family was from Cuba and arrived in the United States in the early 60s uh, as part of the Cuban exile community. So I kind of grew up always hearing about my grandmother and the school that she ran that unfortunately was when the early 60s was nationalized by the Castro uh, government. But even my mother, she recently retired as a a college professor. She was an adjunct professor at uh, Barry University at Florida International University and University Miami. She's also a professional artist. My brother's an educator. My sister-in-law's an educator. We come from a family of educators. But And in large part, I think those two things, both being a first-generation Cuban-American and understanding the value of education and how education helps particularly folks that are new to our country move ahead. It's the great equalizer. It's the surest way to, to a successful life, in, in my experience and in my opinion. And coming from a family of educators, I don't think I had much of a choice uh, but to go into education. And, um, and I would add maybe even a third factor, which is I had such a positive experience in education from kindergarten all the way through graduate school. I really had a wonderful elementary school experience at kind of this, this unique, it was sort of a charter school before there were charter schools in, in the 70s and early 80s. And then I went off to a Jesuit middle school, high school and my, this is all in Miami where I was born and raised. And again, had an amazing middle school, high school experience, had a wonderful college experience. And then a number of years later, a wonderful graduate school experience. For me, education matters. And my father, unfortunately, had a dream of being a doctor, but because he had to leave Cuba at 17 years old and came over to this country by himself, had to work to support himself and to bring his mother and two brothers over from Cuba, he didn't get a chance to fulfill that dream. So we heard very early on in our lives, you can be whatever you want after you graduate from college. So education has always mattered uh, to us.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that, because I know as a student, when we've had multiple opportunities to get to hear your story, it really does bring in the focus, that message that you said, right, is kind of the world is yours. And it's so important to hear those stories of the American dream, right? And how so much as possible in this country. And we're truly blessed to have the opportunity to seize the world as our oyster. And I'd love to pass it over to Dana.
0: Yeah, I'm so interested because it seems like you have a specific interest and passion around mental health, which we are going to discuss in detail today. But I'm curious where that passion and interest came from.
2: Well, I think first and foremost, it, it comes from my experience with family members who struggled with depression and anxiety. As part of my childhood, I experienced folks in my family struggle with those two diagnoses and just really the work that they needed to put in as individuals, but the work that we also needed to put in as a family to Help support each other through some pretty difficult times, and then uh, I, I think second, secondly, probably very much connected to my work in education. Since 1994, I've been working in schools, you know, primarily middle schools and high schools. And again, you know, have been blessed to work with hundreds and hundreds of young people. And it is something where you wish you didn't see it, but you do see it. And and so I I knew that in order for me to be the best teacher, the best coach the best club advisor that I could be, I needed to understand as best I could what the young people that I was working with were going through. And so that was another piece. And then lastly, I would say the greatest impact and influence, and frankly, the greatest education for me on this topic is my wife. My wife Jessica works for an organization called The Shine Initiative. It's based in Worcester. It's a youth mental health advocacy and training organization. She is passionate and Carson knows her because Carson's had an opportunity to work with her. She's just a tremendous champion for reducing the stigma around mental illness, encouraging people to really pursue good mental health. And she's really educated me and just watching her the way she's raised our three kids in terms of being open about talking about feelings and how you're feeling and trying to understand what makes us tick, not just emotionally, but but mentally and socially and spiritually. So all of those things come together to for me to create an awareness that our young people need to you know, school's not just about what happens in between the four walls of a classroom in a 45 minute period. For me, education has always had a much broader definition. And uh, it's one of the reasons I work in Catholic education and have worked in Catholic education for most of my career. It's because we are really trying to develop nurture and care for the whole person, not just mentally, but physically, spiritually, socially, and emotionally.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for that answer. I, I, we definitely share that view at the Mary Christie Institute. And we have some great partners at Jesuit colleges and universities. And one of the reasons I think that is such a strong partnership is due to that view of the student as the whole person and nurturing them, nurturing their flourishing and thriving and, and not just their academics.
2: It's extremely important. I'm sure we'll get into sort of how the pandemic is impacting all of us, but in particularly impacting our young people. And you can only truly be your best when you can bring your whole self to a situation. Mr. Zakir,
1: due to your leadership and passion for mental health, St. John's has been able to establish some strong relationships with local organizations, such as the Shine Initiative, which we were just talking about, but as well as Shrewsbury Youth and Family Services. Could you speak to the value of their partnerships and what they've added to the school's community?
2: Absolutely. I think one of the things that we're able to do in an an independent organization, a private school like a place like St. John's, is really leverage relationships in the community. There's always more that we can be doing uh, to better serve our mission as an institution and also better serve our students, our families, our alumni, uh, my faculty colleagues, and things like that. So as we're constantly looking at what we're doing, we identify what are our areas of strength, and what are our areas where we need additional support. And so one of the things that that we identified pretty early in my tenure, I'm in year six at St. John's, was that we needed to build some capacity within our community around supporting our students' social, emotional, and mental health needs. And so the way we did that was with By partnering with organizations like the Shine Initiative, like Shrewsbury Youth and Family Services, who we have a formal partnership with, and they help us with referrals. They help us with professional development. They help us with training our counselors and keeping our counselors current on on the latest trends in, in youth mental illness. And so that's how all those relationships really started. It's with recognizing where areas that we can, where we can use support and partnership to better the experience for our students at the school. And it's not just for our students. I mean, recently at the end of January, we had the Shine Initiative come in and do a session with our faculty and staff talking about self-care. And it's that sort of, that that model that's often used about when you're on a plane And they talk about the drop of pressure, the cabin pressure that you put your mask on first before you assist somebody else. Well, that's the same thing with taking care of somebody, right? You need to make sure you're taking care of yourself first so that therefore you can be available and accessible to help uh, others. And so we've spent a lot of time talking about self-care and even worked as a community to develop uh, what we call the SJ Self-Care 60 which is the goal of folks doing some self-care activity for 60 minutes every week, right? So roughly 10 to 12 minutes every day, what are folks doing to take care of themselves? So it really is taking a very broad view on how we can support not just the adult mental, social, emotional health, but also for our students.
0: So, Alex, I love that you mentioned faculty and staff mental health. We at the Mary Christie Institute recently did at the college level a study of what faculty view their role in you know, nurturing student mental well being, how they view that role. And our partners in that study have continued that research and are also studying faculty's own mental health because we share that view that you have to be well to interact with students and bring your best self to the classroom as a faculty member as well. I want to ask about a partnership, the Jed High School Partnership. As I understand it, St. John's was one of the first Jed high schools. I think our audience is probably pretty familiar with Jed in their work in colleges. But I would like if you could just explain what that partnership is all about for the high school and how and why you joined up with Jed.
2: Sure. Again, it, it speaks to how we're constantly looking at our program and making sure that we uh, are doing the best that we can in service of our mission, and service of our students. And I became, again, familiar with Jet Foundation. I believe it was, again, Jessica, my, my wife, Jessica, who, who shared some information with me about them and we started some conversations around you know sort of the whole concept of wellness and well-being at the school you know that's been that's been as, as you know Carson has mentioned that's that's been a major uh, a major piece of my work at the school is is trying to bring that to the forefront I mean we've always done the work but I think we needed to sort of shine a brighter light on the work that was being done but also the work that we needed to do and so we approached the Jet Foundation we were fortunate to be one of their first high school partners, as you mentioned. They've been working in higher education for, I think, a little over a decade. So we're part of their first high school cohort. I I believe we're their first Catholic high school that they're working with as part of this cohort. And COVID has interrupted the timeline a bit, but we have been working with them now for probably about 18 months on a process to develop a strategic plan around mental health support, mental health support accessibility, and suicide prevention at St. John's. And that has a number of different phases to it. And we're we are now reaching I just the other day got a calendar invite for the end of May, they will present the first draft of a strategic plan, specifically for St. John's High School. So, you know, they've been working with a team, it's a cross disciplinary team, you have students, you have families, you have faculty, staff, administration, coaches that are all part of this team. And uh, they've worked to develop the strategic plan, which we will roll into a a broader and larger strategic plan for the school uh, that we will be finalizing this summer. So, you know, for us as a, as an institution to say that one of our pillars for our all school strategic plan is mental health support and suicide prevention efforts, I think directly communicates how how important we feel that is for our young people.
0: Jed is another great partner of MCI, and I think the work that they've done in higher education is so important. And I'm so glad that they're focused on high school as well, especially because we know that students are entering college, and they already have mental health issues developing, or they have positive mental health, whatever it is, they don't show up in college, you know, and and that's when their mental health begins, um, it begins much earlier. So I'm so glad that there is a focus on high school students as well. Carson mentioned earlier that you have worked in secondary education in many different capacities, and you mentioned the effect that COVID has had and the the effect that you've seen. We have also just generally seen in the student population in college, the worsening of mental health overall, increased in depression and anxiety specifically. I'm curious in your years in secondary education, have you seen that happening to high school students as well?
2: Yeah, I think it, I, I think it is. You know, there's a, a really fascinating, if you, I'm sure you've come across it already, or folks who, who, who are listening to this podcast will know there was a, a, an article that came out uh, maybe 10 days ago in The Atlantic with the, with the headline, Why American Teens Are So Sad. And so I think in some ways, this has been going on prior to the pandemic. But I think in many ways, as we've seen, you know, what the pandemic has done, it's exposed some of these cracks in a much more visible and in some cases, a a much more dramatic way. And so while I think that a number of these factors that this article points to, like the, the lack of socialization, the social media use, which I think the, the author of the article does a wonderful job, you know, not saying social media is, is sort of the devil and it's this poison, but it's instead its use at times is damaging to the mental health, not just of young people, but of everybody. I have seen this, you know, growing over time. And it's something that's deeply concerning to me. We're trying at the same time that it's happening We're trying to transition an educational system overall, an educational system where it's always been someone else's responsibility to take care of the social, emotional, and mental health needs of of children, whether it's parents, whether it's a school counselor, or a guidance counselor, or even somebody who's fortunate. We know it's very difficult for young people now to be able to access mental health services outside of the school. And so it's sort of this perfect storm where you have an increased need right? You have this collective trauma that has existed now for over two years with the pandemic. And at the same time, you're working in a system that has not necessarily seen it as part of their responsibility to care for the mental health needs of its students. But that awareness is growing that we do need to do that. So I'm hoping that that's going to be a, a positive byproduct of this challenging time is that schools recognize that they're on the front lines, teachers are on the front lines, administrators are on the front lines, coaches are on the front lines. Like, I mean, anybody who's interacting with young people, needs, they need, we need to be able to recognize the signs and symptoms of somebody struggling with their mental health. But it's a a difficult time. And so my question is, are schools, our educators, our administrators, are parents prepared to help our young people process that trauma?
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's true that it would be a great silver lining of this whole trauma, collective trauma that we've been through, that people recognize it. And I think it is. I think people do recognize it more. And and we've seen that in some data from college presidents, like one of their top concerns now is mental health for the past few years. But there is this huge concern. And it's as students return to the classroom, as, right, we return to whatever normal is now. Are we ready to help students? Are we ready to meet them where they are?
2: Yeah, it was a conversation that we had at St. John's. And Carson can probably yeah, reflect more on the effectiveness of it. But, you know, we, we were very clear as, it, as an administration, we were very clear with, with our faculty and with the students and families, like, we can't just flip a switch and return back to what a pre-pandemic St. John's looked like. Even though we were fortunate to be, we've been in school, with the exception of being of our campus being closed in the spring of 2020, we have been fully in person five days a week at the school since the fall of 2020. So we did not go hybrid. We did not go fully remote for extended periods of time so we have been you know around our kids and our kids have been around us they're still experiencing the impact of the pandemic not just in terms of their physical health but their social emotional health but then also all those students who are coming into our school as brand new students. I mean, this is something that we're going to be living with for, for a generation of students, right? My first grader who started his formal schooling as a kindergartner in the midst of the pandemic, his education has been impacted by this pandemic and it will continue to be compounded over, over the years. So we need to be sensitive to what he's going to be doing in first grade, second grade, all the way up until you know he's, he's in high school and college.
1: I'm so glad that we're having this conversation too, because I think it's really interesting having myself, a student, Dana, someone who works in public health, and you as an administrator. Because my next question is talking a little bit about how St. John's builds resilience and healthy well being. But I'm almost going to answer that a little bit myself, kind of to contribute to the conversation that we we're just having. Like coming into St. John's, there's, there's the buzz around academics here is really hard. You know, I had a conversation with a campus minister a couple weeks ago talking about what does a St. John's man look like? And his answer to that was something along the lines of a smart jock. And I think that stereotype holds really true. But part of going into St. John's is knowing that there's the challenge. But when you're at freshman orientation, you realize the key to facing the challenge is seeking out the right resources that you're constantly surrounded by. I had the opportunity to speak at freshman orientation last year, and that was exactly my message was this place is really only as hard as you make it on yourself, right? Like we're so blessed to have so many great teachers, faculty, really everyone at the school that everyone's willing to help you succeed. And they're willing to put in that extra 15, 30, an hour, to help you in whatever it may be. And I think that translates so much to physical health and emotional health. It's all about seeking out help and finding where the right resources are located. And I think St. John's done a great job preparing us for that, especially when it comes to the next college level, which I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that I only have 10 days left on the St. John's campus
2: as a student. Is it really only 10 days? My goodness. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that is, that's hard for me to believe, Carson. That, that 10 is, school so. days yeah and and Carson I would say you know you have been you've been instrumental you know with with the work that you've been doing with with your personal story of losing a friend to suicide and really after being really impacted by that trying to turn it into something that was going to be healthy and 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 constructive for you and you came to me and said it started with let's print the suicide prevention lifeline on the back of our school IDs and that that's something that you continue to push for across Commonwealth uh, of Massachusetts. And uh, and then it you know it morphed into a QR code, right, where students at St. John's like, around campus, you see signs that say, you know, hashtag not alone. And that's, that's on the back of all of our IDs, not just our student IDs, but our faculty IDs, our staff IDs. There's a QR code there that you can scan with your phone and it immediately brings you to a wealth of resources that you can utilize if for some reason, you know, God forbid somebody's in crisis and needs uh, those resources. So, you know, you, you've been a shining example of of, uh, of a St. John's man, and I appreciate the work that you've done. We have been in the educating boy business for 124 years. With that length of time working with young men, I think that there's there are certain things that we've been able to figure out as an institution that we believe builds uh, strong and healthy young men as they go off to college. And I think Dana, you know, you mentioned this idea about college presidents being concerned about mental health. I mean, we know full well. That it's not just, you know, college persistence is a huge issue, especially with young men where, yeah, they get into college, but then they don't stick around. Uh, They don't finish. They don't persist. They don't graduate. Uh, and A lot of that is tied to students being academically ready to meet the challenges, but they're not mature enough in terms of their social, emotional, and mental health to meet the challenges of being in, in college. We're a college prep school, but college prep doesn't mean just preparing a student academically it means preparing a student spiritually. As a Catholic school, we believe strongly in making sure that our, our students are in touch and connected to their faith. And, and we've got about you know a quarter of our student body that's non-Catholic. So whether they're Buddhist or Sikh or Muslim or Jewish, we want folks to be connected to their God, right? And so that's extremely important. But it's also a sense of making sure that they have built that resilience and resiliency to, to, to make it through some challenges. And when I, look, when I think about what are the things that we do, I mean, we provide common experiences for our students that, that have been provided for decades. And so you could be a student that graduated from St. John's in the mid-90s, and you could have a conversation with somebody from Carson's class in 2022, and there are some things that we do as an institution that, that stand the test of time. I had some common experiences in terms of prayer services and speakers and programs that, that, that span the test of time, right? Um, I think St. John's is also a place that builds resilience because we're a place that, that values authentic success, right? I, it's something I tell the incoming students every year is that you will fail while you're at St. John's in one way or another, whether it's academically, whether it's making a sports team, whether it's not getting a role in the play or not getting a solo during the, 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 the winter Christmas concert you will not get what you want. And how you respond to that is important because we want authentic success to happen at St. John's. We want students to experience success authentically. Part of it is a culture and a commitment to excellence, right? And, And that's something that it's not just academic excellence. It's also excellence in terms of personal behavior and professional behavior of our adult community, right? It's a community of excellence. And all of this is happening in a place where the adults understand that there's this constant push and pull that needs to happen with our young people, right? I would say that if you were to talk to folks at St. John's 30 or 40 years ago, they were more concerned about pushing students pushing students to be better, pushing students to go to college, pushing students to excel academically. Now we've become better at the balance between pushing students to excel, but then there are also times that you need to pull them in, right? So I talk about the push and pull with our students, right? We need to, there are times that we don't, we don't just sit back and say, well, come to see me for extra help if you need help. No, I need to pull the student in to say, you need to come see me every Wednesday at 730 in the morning until we figure this out. So all that's happening within an environment that cares uh, for who boys are and cares for who they can become, which is really special.
1: Well, Mr. Zakara, thank you so much for the kind words for joining today and also for being such a partner in the past four years when it comes to expanding mental health resources at St. John's. And it's been such a great journey to be able to come in and see the school develop so much, not just in the realm of mental health, but really how big the school has grown in the past four years, despite all the challenges globally.
2: Well, Carson, I appreciate the invitation. And Dana, it was great to chat with you. And thank you for the work that you're doing. It's really important work. So I, I feel uh, I feel very blessed and humbled to, uh, to spend some time with both of you.
0: Alex, thank you so much for your time today. Carson, thank you so much, as always, for joining me as co-host. And before we close, I just wanted to share a bit of news. Carson has made his college decision. Very exciting. He's going to UT Austin in the fall, actually heading there in August. So congratulations, Carson. We're very proud of you here at MCI. I
1: can't wait. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Thank you guys so much for joining and um, I'll leave it there. This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristiinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs like the MC feed and the Mary Christie quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player.
1: Thanks so much for listening.